Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Christopher, the Chief Information Security Officer at Gilware, and we discuss the rise of ransomware, taking a proactive approach to protecting your assets and why it's critical to educate your team to avoid getting attacked. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, how are you? Oh man, you are in a workshop. I love it. Yeah, feels like home. <laughs> yeah, it's one of our uh, one of our forensic labs. It's looks a little like a storeroom. Forensic labs. What are you guys doing over there? Well, we do uh, a lot of incident response work. So um, the Gilware started as a data recovery company that your hard drive failed or your your machine died, and uh, we could pull the platters out of the machine and get the data directly off the platters. Um, we've had, we've got machines here that can scrape the epoxy off of a memory chip and we can micro solder directly into the chip to pull stuff off. So that's kind of where our roots are. And out of that uh, came uh, incident response work. So either digital forensic stuff, uh, cybercrime stuff, or more often these days, uh, we're on several insurance panels for incident response. So if you get ransomware or you get, uh, suffer a wire transfer fraud breach or something like that, you'll call your insurance company who will then call privacy counsel who will then call us. And uh, we've got a team that will figure out what happened, how it happened, what kind of data was exfiltrated, if any, and then help you recover. And uh, very often the last conversation or the last uh, uh thing we have we say with those customers is clearly you've got some issues um how can how can we help you prevent this from ever happening again and so that's where uh me and my team steps in and we do proactive information security and risk management work that's actually really cool like what what's going on in the crime world today <laughs> like what's popular right now it's it's actually insanity and we could we could talk for hours about it um and i have but uh Ransomware is rampant right now. Uh, we got a call just last week from one of the big insurance carriers that said, we've called seven other incident response firms and they're all at capacity and not taking more cases. Uh, and 99% and of the cases that we're seeing come in now are ransomware. Uh, it, it's, it's an absolute epidemic. Like it, it is insanity. We've, we've added four people in the last month and we're probably going to add probably another 10 before the end of the year. So give me a quick breakdown of like how ransomware infects a computer. Well, it's not, it's not anything particularly new. Um, there are some interesting wrinkles where um, when once you've got ransomware, and I just to level set, ransomware is, is essentially malicious software that will encrypt your, your hard drive or at least important data stores. Um, and pop up a screen that says, hey, you've been infected with ransomware. Um, if you send this much Bitcoin to this wallet uh, using this code, we will send you the, the decryption key so you can get your data back. Um, and it used to be that these were like, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Um, but now uh, insurance companies sometimes are forced to pay the ransom because these uh, these ransomware attackers are encrypting your backups. And that's one of the first things they back up or encrypt so that it makes it more difficult for you to recover your system. So you're facing months of downtime while you rebuild all of your servers and workstations, or you pay the ransom and you're, you're back up and running in a day or two. Um, but that, that decrypts your data, but it doesn't get them out of your system. So uh, our incident response work very often is not just helping you get your systems back up and running, but also making sure that, that they're not persisting in your environment. Because when they attack, they, they come in through the normal ways. Um, right now, we're seeing a lot of people coming in through uh, remote desktop, Windows RDP uh, protocol. If you have that exposed to the public internet, um, stop it right now. Um, because... <laughs> Uh, there are a lot of known vulnerabilities and known exploits for these, for that protocol. Um, another one that that's been getting hit recently, pretty often, is MySQL. Uh, so just a basic uh, kind of middle of the road database server. Um, no offense to the MySQL people, but uh, you know, 
it's ubiquitous, but it's not hugely powerful. And uh, it, it's, it's added by default to a lot of web servers and that sort of thing. And if you have that exposed to the public internet and it's not entirely up to date with patches, if you don't already have ransomware, you're going to have it soon. Um, and another one that we've seen uh, is Exim. E-X-I-M is a mail server that gets installed by Linux uh, by default very often and by a lot of hosting providers. And there's a, a very, uh, a very a dangerous vulnerability that allows you to uh, remotely exploit a machine running that service. So, so it's just like the old days. If you have something unpatched, you might get attacked. And they get in that way. And, uh, or we're seeing very often, and, and maybe as much, if not a little more, it comes in through email, whether it's a phishing email or it's just spam email that has an attachment or a link to a website. Uh, that has uh, a tool running on it that will let you uh, let them kind of put a shim on your machine, a very thin, very difficult to detect um, uh, piece of malware that usually runs uh, whatever locally installed scripting tool you have. Very often it's PowerShell because Windows machines have PowerShell installed by default. Um, and so it's very small. It, it won't trigger a signature-based uh, antivirus because it is so small and actually built on the fly um, so that it doesn't, it doesn't look like it did the last time you, you generated it. It does it all automatically to make it, it's called polymorphism. It makes it polymorphic and very difficult to notice. And once it's on, then it downloads something that's actually useful, something that's going to call back and allow an attacker to get access to that machine. So um, one of the ones that is commonly used is called Emotet. Um, the, the names of these are always pretty interesting. Um, and then once Emotet has a foothold on your machine, it will then download a, a tool called TrickBot very often. Uh, and TrickBot is kind of a, a Swiss army knife um, that if you double click it in your email, it's running as your context. And if you're a local administrator on your workstation, then TrickBot runs as local administrator. And once it's there, they start looking for things on the network. Other hosts to infect, um, uh, they'll look for your finance department so that they can do wire transfer fraud and trick you into transferring money to places. Um, or once they find your backups, they find important data stores, they'll encrypt them with ransomware. That's the most common way that we're, we're seeing people infected with ransomware. That is horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is horrible. And one of the interesting things is when they're asking for these payments, um, you know, we negotiate with the ransomers. Sometimes we're forced to, if, if the insurance company says, yeah, we're facing two months of downtime, just try to pay the ransom. Um, it's not our first uh, uh, method of attacking these incidents, but sometimes it's, it's what you're left with if, if there's no other option. And um, when you're talking with these guys, you'll say, hey, we'll, we'll pay you X amount of dollars. And they'll say, well, I have to take this to my supervisor and see. <laughs> and so they'll have They've got help desks. There's websites that rank the different ransomware uh, variants on on how reliable they are in getting your your decryption keys and how good their customer support is. Um, their customer good, support. Yeah. Their customer and, support. It's like they're a right. business. They've got a website. They've got email addresses, and it all goes through VPNs. So they're all using the Tor network or or other other uh, uh, VPN solutions, so that your your so it's on the dark web. So you, you can't just go to you know, www.ransomware.com and find them. It, it, you have to, they'll give you an IP address to connect to, um, usually through an email and they've got email set up uh, uh, through secure email mechanisms. So they're using tools that were created for good reasons, like uh, uh, folks in oppressive regimes who wanna have access to uh, information will use the Tor VPN, or they'll use these, these secure email or messaging mechanisms. And, and I would fight that we need to have those, those mechanisms because they're really, really important from a, a privacy uh, and, and liberty and freedom perspective. But these attackers and these criminals are using these to hide their traces. And actually, they hide them very, very well. Um, and then when they're using cryptocurrencies for payments, again, I think cryptocurrency should be there. They, there's good reasons to have cryptocurrency. But it's untraceable. So these tools that were used for good purpose, built for good purposes are being used for bad, which again is another really interesting wrinkle. What is the answer? Uh, the answer is uh, do the things you ought to be doing. Like it used to be that, that the, 
the HIPAA stick was a big one that would make people do information security related things or GDPR or CCPA, the California privacy law. Um, I haven't seen a lot of, uh, or, or they talk about reputation, right? If you get hacked, you're going to suffer reputation and people won't want to do business with you. Well, last I checked, Target's still in business and uh, people, people are still using Equifax, right? I mean, they're, they're not out of business because of that. So that reputation argument is a little thin. So uh, the answer is do the things you ought to have been doing. Um, have a good information security uh, uh, hygiene and pract best practices. And, and, and some of this is fairly low-hanging fruit. Um, don't expose services to the public internet that you don't need to expose. Um, if you do expose something to the public internet, um, have it patched and updated as much as possible and have it well configured. Um, that's pretty easy, but even organizations with good information security programs are still going to have a problem if, if some user double clicks an attachment in their email. Um, so end, end user awareness uh, is, has become more and more important. And I think that there's some really good tools out there to help users with, with uh, uh, being aware of what the threats are. Uh, but ultimately, if something comes in through email, don't double click on it. And uh, we've even had some clients who no longer, who have notified their business partners that they will no longer uh, accept emails with attachments. If you send an attachment, um, it's just gonna go into the, into the garbage bin. Um, and they're using secure file transfer mechanisms like ShareFile or there's a bunch of others um, so that they can securely authenticate the sender um, and uh, uh, kind of scan the, scan the attachment pretty well before it comes in. And there's, there's some good email things you can do too to protect yourself on the, on the server side. So what do you say to people that have smaller companies, like 20, 25 people, and they're just like, ah, oh, this isn't a priority? It's absolutely a priority because, um, so if you've ever, I've done a lot of intrusion detection work where, where you're seeing the, the raw data coming in from the internet and there's just automated scripts strobing across the internet looking for vulnerable hosts. So um, if you're, Bill and Ted's Excellent Stereo Emporium or your Sony Entertainment, um, you have an equal chance of being attacked. Um, and if you have a, an unpatched Apache server or an unpatched email server or an unpatched service uh, uh, exposed to the public internet, you stand a reasonable chance of, of well, you will be attacked. Um, and if it's unpatched, you stand a reasonable attack, uh, a chance that it's going to be successful. Um, it doesn't matter your size. And in fact, the, the, ransoms, the ransomer has no idea who they're actually infecting very often. Uh, and, and the ransom's gonna be the same. It's gonna be, these days, uh, we've seen ransoms go over a million dollars if they do have an idea of who it is they've infected. So like, is our government, I mean, you're, you're in the United States, right? Yeah, yeah. So is our government, or are you aware, are we doing anything? Like, is there anything we can do to like protect the people? Cause I know like I've seen the cords that actually run around the world, like the fiber, right? right. Is there any, and I kind of imagine that as like an interstate, right? And it's like, okay, so they're on, on lines that are in our country. Is there anything that can be done from that level or no? Well, they they want to enable free and open communication. Um, and part of the problem is if if there's a, they're taking active steps that if they identify that this host is where this is all sourcing from, they'll block it. But like I said, they're using things like Tor and other VPNs so that they can, they can pop up a point of presence anywhere in the world. So like I'm going to block all traffic from and I don't want to say bad things about a particular country, but let's just say, um, don't do it. Don't do it. Want, right. Say we country want, X. We want, to block, <laughs> we want to block country X and, uh, uh, cause screw them. Uh, but we want to block country X because very often bad stuff happens. Yeah. I'm not going to fall into the China or Russia. <laughs> hole. I would just won't do it. Um, uh, I was just at a big government conference and, and it was all about, you know, Vladimir Putin in China, and it just made me roll my eyes over, over, and over. Um, you, you can't do that because the attackers, by their nature, are just going to pop up. They're going to look like they're coming from Hoboken or something like that. And you should block Hoboken, by the way. Um, that's a joke. Uh, so, so that's difficult. The uh, not only are they able to pop up wherever they want, 
most traffic these days is encrypted. And so if I'm listening on the network looking for signs of bad things, I, I can't see it because it's, it's being encrypted across the network. Almost all web traffic these days is encrypted with HTTPS, hopefully TLS 1.2 or newer. Um, and it, you just can't see it. I, I did a lot of work with intrusion detection stuff. I wrote, I wrote the book on intrusion detection, but actually I did write a book on intrusion detection. Uh, uh, it's Managing Network Security with Snort and IDS Tools. It's an O'Reilly book. And uh, in those days, a thousand years ago, you could watch all the traffic on the network and look for signs of attack, kind of like a signature-based antivirus. Hey, this looks like a bad thing, block it. But these days, everything's encrypted. And so network intrusion detection is, has become a lot less valuable. And it's underscored that we need to distribute your, your protections to more places than just the border of your network. And so the, for the same reason, the government has a tough time blocking it. I want to take it in a different direction. I've got another question just popped in okay. my head. So I've seen posts about like at conferences, hackers being able to go in and turn on the cameras of the computers saying that they're like mm -hmm. maybe backdoors that governments have put into systems, things like that. Is that true? Is like there anything about that? Like is everyone putting stuff over their camera for no reason? Um, it's a matter of trust, um, but like the, 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 uh, I'm never surprised, um, but if you've got a vulnerable system, you, you have a chance of it being exploited. And, and uh, I think I worry less about that um, than I do the other things, simply because, so I was a, a pen tester for almost four years and, and we didn't have a job where we didn't successfully get in to an organization like we I'm not patting myself on the back it's a lot of times people don't patch things and even even companies with good information security programs things fall through the cracks and that's what we take took advantage of but we we kept asking ourselves why why is one company a target and why is another one not and it boils down to why is someone going to attack you and there might be political reasons there might be they just don't like your company but more often than not they want money and so uh, if you're in the payment if the payment business and you've, you're collecting credit cards or you accept payments on your website or you're a payment processor or you're even a credit card company, um, you've got things people want um, because if they can steal those credit card numbers, they can maybe do something with it. Um, so that's an obvious thing. But now with ransomware, they can monetize almost any attack. Um, they're, they're more likely to try to infect you with ransomware than they are to try to you know, break into your security camera. But that said, that recent stuff with Nest, um, the Nest cams, cooperating with local police departments where, where they're granting police departments access to your cameras so that they can look at your, at your street or if there's a, an accident on the street, they can get the Nest camera footage. Um, that's crazy to me. And, and it's something that, that as a, I admit, I'm a more of a more sensitive to privacy things than the average bear just because of the work I do. Um, but I, I don't like, that doesn't feel good to me. Wait, at isn't all. the nest like your thermostat? Um, well, they also have these cameras. Oh, oh ring, 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 ring. Okay, ring. ring. Yeah, the ring I was cameras, like, I don't want them right. to see how cold it is in my house. <laughs> right, yeah, hey, that's private. Um, but that, I mean, that that to me is an invasion of privacy, even if it's only only exposing the, the camera, your doorbell camera. You, you know what's you know? going on on my doorbell camera? like these giant cat things uh like i don't know if it's panthers or these like little mountain lion guys but these big cats are you really getting cougars cougars there you go man my whole name i've got this we got this app my wife and i is called like neighbors so uh -huh. people can post their clips to the where do you live a florida okay yeah 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 and I swore I do like early runs, like 5 a.m. runs. And I swore one day I saw one. I was like, I think there's one in the neighborhood. So I asked my wife to look it up and she did. There are a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're not rare. I went for a cameras. hike in Colorado and uh, at altitude. So I was stopping all the time because I couldn't breathe. But um, I was going along and I'm on a dirt trail and I, I went about 10 miles or so and then turned around and was coming back. And as I was coming back, I, I was the only person on the trail. I saw mountain lion footprints that were following me at one point. I, was, I just got back from Colorado last week. 
and the we did a jeep tour you know they took us up in the jeep the crazy four by four up in this mountain and he said the only animal that he hasn't seen out there in 20 years is a mountain lion and he's very happy about that because you don't want to see the apex predator well you usually don't see them they they usually attack you from behind that's why you don't want to see one (laughs) yeah Yeah. actually the bears freak me out though too the 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 brown bears freak me out have you ever seen like one eating out of a stream or anything yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've seen grizzlies out in, in the mountains. That's why I don't, we were going to go for this backpacking trip and I went, I went a couple times on expeditions just to kind of scout out areas. And, and every time I saw a bear, I was like, yeah, no, I, I'm just, I'll, I'll rent a cabin. Do you ever get inspired by nature for your technical problems that you're trying to solve? I usually escape my technical problems in nature. Um, I turn everything off and then just sit in a hammock and read a book. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, just because I'm hip deep in the internet all the time. Right? It's like you have to have some sort of disconnect or some break. So what type of book? It's not a technical book, hopefully. Um, Sometimes, but usually it's some kind of science fiction. Oh, really? Big science fiction and fantasy nerd, yeah. What? So you like Elon Musk? Sure. No, you don't. That was hesitation, man. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I like him. I think he's he's become P.T. Barnum a little bit. Oh. Um, I love SpaceX. I love Tesla. Um, I like the things his companies are doing. I like the direction he's taking technology. I like the fact that all of the all of the battery technology that they've developed, they've open source so that other companies can do what they. I mean, he's doing it the right way. He absolutely has. But he's his image and his Twitter account has gotten in his way <laughs> too often. Isn't his Twitter? I actually follow his Twitter, and every time I'm like. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm on board with most of this stuff, but then yeah. he just throws something on like a Friday night, and I'm like, "Ouch, dude, that was yeah. not okay." Yeah, he's a little berserk. But it's also cool that he is using the fame or his wealth to make For the world things. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't missed the SpaceX launch yet. Like, I, I wish I could go see one in person, but I, I, I love it. I just love it. And then if you could imagine, like, if you could actually have seen, like, P.T. Barnum's Twitter, <laughs> like, yeah, it'd yeah. be equally as bad, Probably, right? Probably worse, because he didn't care whose toes he stepped on. So we talked a little bit at the beginning about some different types of attacks, what people should be looking out for, um, some, some low-hanging fruit stuff. Uh, so advice, like, if you could have CTOs walk away with, like, two things, what would they be? Well... It used to be a real struggle for for information security people to to kind of make a case for return on investment for information security spending. Um, what we've found in our work is that very often you've got the licenses you need or the tools you need, um, but but you're maybe not using them in a way that that they work well together. Um, Or there's some fundamental things that you could be doing that are not only going to help your information security, but are also going to make your IT department more efficient. And uh, a lot of organizations see their IT department as a cost center. Um, I I hope that that perception's changing because we're not just talking about email and your website anymore. If, if, If nothing's been made more apparent to me than this, it's that if, if all of your computers are not available, if, if everything was encrypted with ransomware, your company's not going to work anymore. Um, a good example is one that came up just yesterday where these, this group of hospitals, I think in Alabama, um, suffered ransomware and they weren't taking any patients except for the most critical. They were unable to take patients except for the most critical cases because their computers were not available. Um, it, it's not just a convenience anymore. So, so, I think one of the best examples is asset management. If you've got a if you've got a single pane of glass that'll show me all of my workstations, all of my servers, all of my network devices, the hardware inventory, the current software they're running, their patch level, that's going to go a long way towards you having a secure environment because you're going to know what's up to date and what's not. You're going to know when a new device gets plugged into your network and if you trust it or not or if you want to segregate it. That's from a, if I'm a CISO at your organization, I'm going to be very happy and I'm going to probably sleep better at night. But your IT department is also going to be a lot more efficient um, because they're going to know what percentage of my machines are going to come due for a renewal this year. If you call the help desk, the help desk can call up and say, oh, I see you're running XYZ laptop, uh, running XYZ version of Windows. 
uh, looks like you're behind in patches or, or let me log in remotely and, and help you. Your IT department's gonna be way more efficient, um, but you're also gonna be a lot more secure. So, so sometimes information security will, will make your entire company uh, more efficient and, and work better because if everything's up to date with patches, it's probably also gonna be a little more reliable. What type of software or tool will give you that single pane of glass that you mentioned? One of the really good ones uh, out there is actually intended to be used for managed service providers. So like there's companies that that will be your outsourced IT department, essentially. Uh, it's a tool called Atera, A-T-E-R-A. -E um, it does a really, really good job. It was a little rough a few years ago, but they, they iterate quickly. Um, they use some pretty agile uh, mm -hmm. software development uh, methodologies that allow them to uh, be responsive to what the the end users are asking for. Um, but because it's intended to be used for managed service providers for small and medium sized businesses, it actually can be very, very cost effective because they charge per agent. So if you've got two IT people and you only need to pay for two licenses, um, it's going to be, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars a year for you to have that single pane of glass for all your workstations and servers. Um, and it also does a really good job of distributing patches and updates and inventorying hosts and all that kind of stuff. Oh, it can actually help do the updates. All of it. A-T-E-R-A. -E yeah. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. No, that's a good one. Thank you. You guys, do you guys build that tool? Is that your tool? Nope. No. <laughs> no. Um, we help. I, I'm, I'm like a trusted advisor where I come in and I help uh, kind of a CISO as a service is what we call it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll come in and help organizations uh, uh, assess where their current information security program maturity is, um, but also help them either build one from scratch or, or make it a little better. And so I've, I've vetted a lot of tools like anti-malware tools, um, logging and monitoring tools, SIM, uh, SOAR, USM tools, um, so that when they get to the point where, wow, we really have a gap here, we need a tool to plug in there. I've done a lot of the legwork for you. So I, at Gilware, earlier you were mentioning that, you know, the insurance companies come to you and that a lot of them are backed up. And mm -hmm. when you guys, and then you, you said something specifically that like sometimes you'll pay the ransom, right? So are they trying to get you to get around it first? Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, we don't want to, and actually the there's, I've seen a few articles where they're, they're asking the question, are, are insurance companies uh, authorizing paying these ransoms, making ransomware more profitable? The answer to that is, Yes, um, but they, they don't want to do that first. Um, they would rather not have to pay those ransoms. They would rather that you had your backups in place. And if there was a second thing I was going to tell CTOs that's important, it's make sure that your backups are, are not just working, but that the people know how to use the backup software in a restoration environment, like some the red light spinning and everyone's screaming. Um, do the people who need to restore your servers know how to do it? And then more importantly, um, are the backup archives stored in a way that if your internal usernames and passwords, so let's say Active Directory, if that was completely compromised, um, would they be able to get to those backup archives? And you should you should have things set up so that in the event that none of your machines were available and all of your user accounts were compromised, you've got a kind of a, a not a back door, but maybe a, a, a garage door into where you're keeping your backup archives. Um, even if it's last month's backups, you're going to be in better shape than if you have to rebuild every server from scratch. So um, there's companies, and again, I'm going to, I'm not getting paid for this endorsement, but <laughs> there's a company called Datto, D-A-T-T-O, that does a really, really good job of not just almost in real time backing up your servers and they've, they'll have an appliance on your local network, but they also have a, a cloud archive that gets replicated uh, on, a, on, a, on a cadence of your choice that's inaccessible from your internal network and requires multi-factor authentication to access. Um, so use multi-factor authentication uh, for all administrator accounts, for all remote access accounts, and to lock down your backup archives because ultimately, if, if you've got an incident or you've, you're suffering a, a disaster, um, recovering and restoring those from those backups is going to be your, your, your first step of, of recovery. Uh, and so making sure they're protected. It's also the, the first target for the ransomers. So it needs to be really locked away. So eventually you'll see these insurance companies, like when you're getting a quote, 
forcing you to have these systems in place? You would hope so. Um, right now, the, the cybersecurity insurance business is still a little bit of, of, a, of a land grab where, where there, I've seen between 20 and 40, and probably it's closer to 20% of companies have cybersecurity insurance. Um, so the, right now, the premiums are, are remarkably low. If you don't have cybersecurity insurance and you've got a company that if your computers were not available um, for whatever reason, um, you don't, and your business would be in trouble. If you don't have cybersecurity insurance, you're, you're crazy. Um, it's very inexpensive and they don't do, they do very little actuarial, uh, testing to see what your kind of risk level are. Um, I think that's going to change as this ransomware stuff gets more and more crazy because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and we're working with, with the insurance companies we work with to help them come up with, with strategies to better assess the risk of the organizations that they're insuring. So only 20% of companies are happy. You know, what's interesting is we actually have cybersecurity insurance because my attorney was like, told us when we took our venture capital money, like, Hey, you need to get this insurance. And when I shopped around for quotes, I was like, this was unbelievably fast, easy. And they didn't need to understand anything about my company. Yeah. They might send you a, a spreadsheet that says, how many records do you have? I mean, like the, the questions yeah. they're asking don't even line up with what the risks are. So um, I think that's going to change and it's going to change soon. Um, we're attending a huge conference called Net Diligence uh, in San Diego in just a few weeks. And we're, we're rolling out a, a tool that's going to help insurance companies assess that risk. Um, oh, cool. And we're, we're actively building that uh, uh, and putting the finishing touches on it right now. That is really unique. You guys are going to dominate with that tool. I, I think so. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a self-assessment questionnaire so that organizations can assess their risk for things that are focused specifically right now on ransomware um, because, because it's an epidemic. Um, you know, the, the, second, the second thing that we come across with incidents is our uh, uh, wire transfer fraud, um, but by orders of magnitude, it's ransomware these days. And so I send a lot of wires because I'm in business, right? Mm -hmm. Is, are they, I've never had to reverse one, but are they reversible? Nope. Um, uh, well, it's difficult. Um, if the money's still sitting in the account where it was delivered, maybe. Um, but uh, when we're talking about wire transfer fraud, it's not necessarily all, all international money transfers or wire transfers, like literally wire transfers. Um, it's any kind of one-off payment. Um, we had a construction company, a uh, big contracting company that was buying some big heavy equipment from an offshore provider. And um, they, the attacker was in their email and saw that this conversation was going back and forth. And when it finally was, okay, yeah, transfer the money to this account, um, the the attacker saw that and had forwarding rules so that they could just jump into the middle of the conversation and say, Oh my God, I'm so sorry, uh, Bill, because they knew the names involved. Um, but that's an old account. Don't transfer it there. It's going to be a huge pain in the butt to get that money out. Um, and it'll delay things. So use this account. It's newer, it's more secure. Um, and Oh, by the way, have a great time on your vacation. And so the person saw that email and there was context for the conversation they were having and trusted it and uh and changed the account number and so um they transferred 1.4 million dollars and uh 30 days later the person said hey i thought you were going to be transferring that money and by then it was gone um and so uh they never got the money back because that account was liquidated and shut down and it was you know who knows where overseas so um i think the answer the short answer to your question is it's really hard um the actually shorter question is probably not. Wow. Okay. So, so that just cause you don't always know that you're infected, like people will be patient and watch your emails and try to attack businesses. In most cases, the attacker has been in the environment at least for months, um, looking for the backups or watching the emails uh, that your finance department are passing back and forth. Really? In the cases you see, most of the attackers have been in the systems for months exploring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the first things they do um, is set up ways for them to uh, persist in your environment so that if you patch the thing they got in with, they still have some tool running on, on one of your machines or multiple machines that, that kind of calls home and lets them, lets them have a tunnel into your environment. 
so that's what the employees are doing. They're like hanging out, watching me check my bank account, seeing how much of a target I am, watching me do emails and transactions and just waiting. Yep. So that's what they're doing. That's like the office they go into. There's people like yeah, waking up. It's a up. business. It's a business. Yeah. yeah. And you can't yeah, and they, do anything. They pay those people 10 bucks an hour or whatever. <laughs> and uh, because, I mean, if the payoff is I'm going to put in, you know, 40 hours of work uh, to get at least a $50,000 payoff that, that, that pays off pretty quickly. You know, you start 50,000 here, 50,000 there, pretty soon you're talking real money. Do you think these people know what they're doing or do you think they're like, do you think they tell them that this is like a hypothetical situation and you're being trained for something? I think they know. You think they know? Sure. Have you ever talked I mean, to any it, of them? Like, like, or watched yeah, an interview yeah. of like, well, what we've had, we've had email conversations back and forth. We've even had um, like, like Skype conferences like this one where we'll have a, a Skype call across uh, to a, a dark web IP address. Uh, and uh, usually it's just voice, but they'll, they'll be speaking with an accent and, and you hear other people talking behind them. They're sitting in a call center um, with multiple people just doing this. And, and if the altered, I mean, you think about some of these countries where these people are very well educated, but there's not a lot, lot of opportunities for them. And maybe there's reasons they can't travel overseas or whatever. Um, sometimes this is, this is a really good alternative for them. If you're making 10 to 20 bucks an hour in a developing country, that's, that's a decent amount of money. Especially if they're training you and recruiting. Right. Right. So you don't even, you just have to have the desire to make some money. And you just go and you do it yeah. and then you could always sell the, uh, you know, the story of like stealing the apple because you have a family to feed. Right. 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 Absolutely. Wow. That gives a lot of interesting thoughts. It, it's an absolute industry. Like, like it, when, usually when I have a conversation with people about, hey, what do you do for a living? It usually is. That's the thing that raises their eyebrows is that this is a full industry. Um, it's not going to go away. I think anytime soon, um, because they're still making money doing it, and people still don't have information security best practices in place. Um, How big so, is it? Well, so one of the one of the big ransomware variants is called Gand Crab G A N D C R A B, and um, the last version of it was version 5.3 and um, they posted some like hacker forums every once in a while and they said well we're going to retire um, we've made uh two billion dollars in ransoms we have about 200 and i think it was 200 i may be wrong but it's like hundreds of millions of dollars like in bitcoin just sitting there and so we're we're getting out of the business we're going to retire um and so we're like, wow, they're going to retire. And then about a week or two ago, they said, yeah, no, we're going to get back in the business. And what they probably did was just sold their business to somebody else. And so Gand Crab is going to, there's probably going to be a version 5.4. Um, and it's just going to be other people getting money. And, the, and those, those people who retired are probably going to get a cut, you know, because they're selling the stuff. And you can go on the dark web and buy packages to start your own flavor of <laughs> that's my next question i just actually wrote that down as you're talking yeah. can i buy yeah. a franchise yep yep you absolutely can <laughs> oh, yeah for like goodness. i've seen it for five thousand dollars for five thousand dollars you can buy everything you need to write your own variant of ransomware uh and they'll give you like little online training classes on how to use the software pretty soon i'm gonna be scrolling through facebook and see like the ty lopez of uh, <laughs> of <selling laughs> yeah. Print, yeah. uh security yeah it's crazy yeah, I should start using my powers for evil, not for good. No. Well, no. <laughs> unless if we're on the same, unless if you want to do a startup. <laughs> I'm in. No, this is great, though. This is unbelievable. So, wow. Datto, D A T T O, real time backups. That's going to help you out. Right? Mm -hmm. Atera, am I saying that right? Managing yep. your devices. See, you manage your yep. devices. You got your backups. You have some cybersecurity insurance. You stay away from Gand Crab. <laughs> Well, and, yeah. and so I think if there's going to be another thing you're going to list, um, okay. uh, like currently you run, you know, everyone, I think everyone's running an antivirus. They're at least running like the, the Windows Defender, right? It comes built in. Um, but that you, you, these days, I think you need more. Um, you need more than just that traditional signature-based antivirus. You need uh, like a lot, of, a lot of companies call it advanced threat protection. So um, uh, in the Sophos world, uh, there's an intercept X with EDR is what they call it. It's such a, just rolls right off the tongue, but it's, 
it's it's an add-on that watches all the system calls on the machine. It watches file system calls, and so it looks for, looks for signs of trouble. And when you when it generates an alert, it'll say, "Hey, you downloaded this file through email. You put it on your desktop, and then you ran it, and it tried to it tried to." Uh, do these naughty things um, and will block it. Um, so it does more than just that signature-based stuff because the attackers have gotten really, really good at evading the traditional antivirus. So um, Carbon Black is another one that's very good. Um, and there are others. Um, uh, uh, Cisco AMP, Cisco AMP, um, is another advanced threat protection tool that that goes above and beyond just that traditional antivirus. So, so I, w I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing it right if I didn't mention that you should be having that in place as well. So, so but data advanced threat. Nonetheless, protection. if they have these things, do you still get customers that have these things? Um, so we haven't had someone who had full on carbon black or Sophos X intercept with EDR running on everything um, that that has. Well, I don't know that I can say never, um, because sometimes, like I said, you know, they'll they'll. The, the attacker will have lurked in the environment for six months, and maybe it was two months ago that you rolled out Sophos X intercept with EDR or, or intercept X with EDR. And so they're already there. Um, or if you've got users that are local administrators and this thing comes in through email and it double clicks it and it says, are you sure you wanna double click this? And you say, yes, um, it's gonna run under your context. And if, it, if it's particularly clever, um, it may just look like something that's okay. Um, so all of these things reduce your risk, um, but they don't necessarily eliminate them. You still have users doing dumb things. Um, and so they need to be educated to not do those dumb things as much as possible. Um, but you also need to have the mechanisms in place to notice uh, that an attack maybe is occurring or has occurred um, and, and, and have the ability to respond to that. So, so I'm not gonna say never, um, but you're reducing risk. I always equate information security with health. You know, I go to my doctor and my doctor says, you should really run, you should not smoke, um, you should eat a lot of uh, high fiber, low fat foods, you should uh, do these things to reduce the risk of you having a health incident. But if I'm crossing the street and I'm looking right when a dump truck's coming from the left, I'm still gonna have a problem. So. So there's, there's multi-facets to reducing the risk of you having a problem. Sometimes it's, it's noticing that, that something's happened, but sometimes it's also making it less convenient for you to be an attack target and have that attacker move on to something else. So let's say I'm a CTO mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know what, this guy, he's absolutely brilliant, talking about you, right? Oh. And, <laughs> or let's say I pull an SSO into my company. What are the biggest frustrations that that system is going to have, like do, are the developers, software developers, do they push back against the security practices? Like what frustrates a CISO from just coming in here and putting in Datto and InterceptX, EDR, and all the, putting in these tools in place? What do they face as, as resistance? Well, you've got to get management buy-in to spend a little money. Um, sometimes you can replace four tools in the whack-a-mole way with one clever tool. And so like a Terra and Datto might, might replace some multiple tools that you have in place. So, so assuming we've got management buy-in, where I've run into problems myself, and I was, I've been a chief technology officer at a, at a startup, um, the, the thing you're fighting is go, 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 right? You've got, you've got agile methodologies or you've got a DevOps shop that, that is constantly iterating, constantly um, uh, releasing, like it's, it's release when, it, when it's done, um, but, but they don't want to slow things down. So um, it goes back to that awareness thing. You need to have developers that are building, thing, building security in from the beginning because you're not going to be able to bolt it on after it's built um, because you just don't have time because you're moving on to the next thing, the next feature. Um, so, so you need to not only have management buy-in that uh, you might need to spend a little money on some tools, but you're not going to buy a tool and plug it into your network and, and have your box of security. The developers need to be building secure code. Uh, your, Q, your, your IDE has to have some static code analysis tools built into it um, that are watching for the OASP top 10 uh, uh, in, uh, application security stuff. Um, but your QA team also has to have uh, security checks built into their QA testing 
and your release process has to at least have some, some low-hanging fruit application security checks so that before it goes live, before it's released, um, you, you've got some reasonable assurance that, that you've got information security in place. And will that slow things down? Yep. Yep, it'll slow things down a little bit, um, but it also is going to let you sleep well at night and and make sure that that this thing, whether it's a, a, a SaaS solution or something, isn't going to compromise your clients is, is kind of a big deal. Have you seen people like, I don't know how to form this question because it's on the fly. Have you seen people like watching the computer of a developer and injecting software trying to get it into deployment? You ever seen that happen? Um, no, but I have seen insiders cause trouble. So if the same person who's writing the code is the one who's releasing the code, sometimes that's a problem. If you don't have a peer code review um, and they'll catch those sorts of things, that'll be a problem. I've seen developers uh, inject their own code in a payment portal that was uh, just sifting off all the credit cards as people were paying for things. <laughs> What, what's the name of that movie? Office Space? <laughs> yeah, it's a little Office Spacey. Um, and, and like in the old days, uh, you know, probably what, 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, um, I worked for a company that did a lot of payment card industry stuff. And we, we saw a case where uh, an organization uh, was sifting off these cards and it eventually, and this is going to sound like a huge number, but it's not when you're talking about these payment processors, had sifted off, I think, 35 million credit card numbers. Um, and at some online vendors, like if you're talking Land's End or something like that, 35 million credit card numbers is, you could probably gather that in, in a day or two. Um, and so, so 35 million credit card numbers, all they did was put in a 25 cent service charge. And it just said service charge, like it was, it was you know, XYZ service charge. And people look at their bill and go, I have 25 cents. And so every month, if you're pulling 25 cents off of 30 million credit cards, you're making some pretty good money pretty quickly. Um, I think a lot of the fraud tools in place now would catch that sort of thing. Um, but that's the sort of thing that, that, that is monetizing uh, uh, an attack. Yeah. And the credit card companies are incentivized to stop that. Right. Cause I get my stuff declined often when, I don't know. It's usually when I use like the more international services, like a payment right. or something like that, but right. then I end up having to call up and, and deal with it. Yeah. Well, I was flying out of O'Hare and I, I, that for sure not going to name a name now, but I, I used one of those park and ride sort of services where, they, where you park your car and then they'll give you a shuttle in. I live in Wisconsin and so I'm a couple hours north of Chicago and so I fly out of O'Hare pretty often. And um, I was on the plane and was fortunately on, on the internet doing some work and I got a message saying um, that, that all these transactions were started and that that company that had collected my credit card to pay to park uh, was had st someone at that company had stolen my card and was trying to make payments and and it got noticed by the credit card company and blocked wow while I was still in the air so, so you said you're over in like Milwaukee area I'm in Madison so Madison the capital yeah so I was just like two weeks ago I was in Waukesha I think that's yeah. how you say it yeah yeah, yeah the, the like the city uh, yeah. their IT department that runs like the whole city I went and gave a talk there it was pretty cool cool yeah it's good. and the guy's yeah. name over there was Chris <laughs> So shout oh, out to Chris yeah. too. Yeah. Good. Yeah. With man, I my mind is blown right now. This is like the most useful security conversation I have ever had. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm super glad that we got to hang out and talk today. Uh, as we wrap up, I'm I know you mentioned that you have the tool that you're releasing. I think you call it like Net Diligence. Well, Net Diligence is the is the conference we're okay. releasing it at. It's Sorry. it's called. I don't know if we've officially launched it. I think yeah. we can talk about it. We, we um, can talk about it. Yeah, just don't tell anybody. Okay. No, and actually, by the time this airs, it'll probably have been yes. officially announced. It's called it's called the ransomware stress test. Um, so if if you uh, remember when the financial industry and the banking industry, all the subprime mortgages were collapsing, they had a thing called the financial stress test for banks. Yeah. Uh, or for people, we're calling it the ransomware stress test. I love that. That's the software I I was doing before I started all of this. Finan oh, yeah? Financial stress test software. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. You, it would actually like compare it, take your portfolio and say, this is how it would have operated in this past crisis. And it would right. take like all the past crises and show you what your report card grade was, how your portfolio would operate in the various issues. Cool. And essentially what it is, is it's, I think about 55 
self-assessment questions that you can ask that are focused entirely on ransomware and will give you a kind of a measure of your risk level. Um, but it's asking all those things we talked about, like are, are things patched? Do, do you, how are you authenticating people? Tell me about your backups. What's your incident response plan? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I just filled one of those out for a new customer. They're like, here, fill out this 70 question thing for our CISO about how you do everything at your company. And I was like, right. okay. It resulted in us getting some physical security, which is pretty cool. Well, and it grew out of us working with this manufacturing company that had a single provider for this, this certain supply they needed to manufacture one of their biggest contracts. And that supplier got ransomware and um, was still with delays and, and bad orders, um, able to supply them the thing they needed, but it underscored the need for them to do better third-party vendor due diligence. So that questionnaire you're talking about. And so we're envisioning this ransomware stress test being used in that case where if I'm a manufacturer and I've got this list of suppliers, I'm going to make them go take this test and tell me how they did. Okay. Interesting. So you're doing that for the insurance company, like they send it to the customer and they take the test. Well, the insurance companies are going to be sending it to their insurers, so I the meant, people yeah. from whom they're getting insurance, and and help them manage their uh, cybersecurity risk, and in particular with ransomware. Um, but I I think it's it's not a big leap to think that the rans the insurance companies are going to start um, measuring, uh, uh, in an, like an actuarial standpoint, the posture of the people from whom, or for whom they're giving insurance. One last thing we didn't wrap up. You had mentioned um, educating people not to do the dumb things. Mm -hmm. What service, I know that there was one in like my area, it's actually pretty global, but they're called No Before. Yeah, No Before is a big one. Uh, we work very often with a company called InfoSec, okay. uh, the InfoSec Institute. Um, they're, they're a competitor with No Before. They do kind of the same thing. They do phishing testing, um, which No Before does as well. I think I think if you, if you were to... Uh, pick one of those two, you'd be in, in good standing. We like what we like what both those companies are doing. Excellent. Man, this is great. These, these are going to be some of the most valuable show notes we've ever had for security. Good. <laughs> I love it. Very much. And, if, and if, if something comes up in the future and you want to talk again, uh, just let me know. Okay. Yeah. And then if people want to find out more about you, uh, LinkedIn, could they connect with you there? Through LinkedIn or, or just go to www.gillware.com, G-I-L-L-W-A-R-E.com. Excellent. No, this is exciting. I think we brought, I think you and I, like mostly you, <laughs> brought, brought a ton of value to the audience today. Great. Thanks very much. All right. You have a fantastic day. All right. It was nice meeting you. See ya. Bye. Bye.